Well, thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. And happy Father's Day to you fathers out there. Good morning. Uh, Father's Day, uh, that's a perfect song to kind of lead in to the rest of this morning. And um, I know uh, as we sing about the good Father that God is, you know, we recognize that for some of you here today, um, many of us have had the privilege of growing up in homes with dads who we know care about us and love us, but some of you didn't have that experience. And we recognize that. And for those of you with that, where today might be a painful day or someone, some of you maybe you had desires to be a father and you haven't been able to, we recognize um, that this is not an ideal day for you. And, and so our prayer for you is that you can experience the love that, that the God the Father, which is a perfect example of what love is, uh, Father's love is supposed to be. We pray that today you could experience that. So we uh, appreciate your joining us today on this day. Uh, Father's Day is, for me, I have three boys, and so Father's Day is kind of that day, you know, in my house, because I have three boys, we have, someone's always in trouble for playing games in the house they're not supposed to be playing, someone's always in trouble for wrestling with a dog on the carpet, and he's not allowed there, someone's always in trouble for eating food um, that wasn't meant for him, but he ate it anyway, it was just sitting there, uh, you know, someone's always in trouble for, you know, probably breaking something or leaving the clothes out that they should have put them away. And that someone's usually me. So, um, <laughs> so Father's Day is the one day where that's okay. So I appreciate this day. It's a good, uh, <laughs> oh, dads are so different sometimes than moms. But, um, <laughs> but uh, so this is a, f- a fun day. May all of you guys eat meat and watch some sports or something today. I don't know. Do whatever, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Um, today, so for me, the other thing about Father's Day, uh, one of the differences, that, at least in my home, my wife and I are both competitive, but one of the differences for me as a dad is raising up our kids. Um, we want to raise them up and be balanced and learn, you know, sometimes you got to compete and work hard to succeed, and, 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 but we want to build our kids up, and we live in a culture where we're always building kids up. But one of my takes on how to do things is, I also, as a father, I feel like my role is also to let them experience defeat and, and to learn how to, to overcome defeat. So when I compete against them, I don't care if they're eight. It doesn't matter. I'm going, I'm going at them. And even yesterday, uh, my son and I, he was, we were fishing down at the ocean, and, and, um, uh, I won two to one. That's, uh, you know, and, and I let him know every step of the way. Uh, and so it was two to zero, two fish to zero. And we were going home. We're like, hey, we're done, man. He's like, we're not leaving yet. <laughs> and um, in, on the very last cast, he caught a little bass, um, which he said was bigger than both of mine. So he won. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> so guys are competitive and I like him to, you know, so for me, I like to kind of compete and have fun with my kids that way. But so we're going to do something here a little different before we get to the actual sermon. Because it is Father's Day. We're going to do a little competition. And this is for all men 18 years old and older. Okay? So, um, and we're going to do a little competition. We want you all to participate. Uh, it, is, it is not extraneous, so it's okay. So I need all the men 18 years old and older to go ahead and stand up where you are. Humor us. Hey, this is a one time, this is church, man. We're using up sermon time right now. You should enjoy this. This is good. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to do a little competition. And so this competition, we're going to test your knowledge a little bit. And it's, is, if you're in the game, you're going to stay standing. And if you lose, you'll sit down. And um, we're going to, we're going to test a little bit of Bible knowledge. No, no, don't sit down yet. So, uh, (laughs) so it's going to be Bible knowledge or pop culture knowledge. And, And so we're doing a little game called, is this from the book of Lamentations? Or 
a Taylor Swift lyric. So here we go. Okay, so we're going to give you a line, and you're going to decide, is it a Taylor Swift song or from the Bible? Simple as that. You know, typical Sunday morning. So here we go. Let's get started. Here's the first one. Okay, she cries herself to sleep at night, tears soaking her pillow. If you think this is Taylor Swift, raise your hand where you are. Be proud. All right, the answer. Lamentations. (laughs) If you said Taylor Swift, sit down. (laughs) All right, there you go. Do these guys know the Bible or Taylor Swift? That's the question. All right, next one. (laughs) Your knives and swords and weapons that you use against me. If this is Bible, raise your hand. Okay, answer. Taylor Swift. (laughs) Dallas Seminary. He's out on the second question. (laughs) Don't give me that seminary was 40 years ago thing. You know, I mean. (laughs) All right, next one. Uh Uh-oh, a whole family of Taylor Swift fans. Great. Oh, here we go. My eyes are blind with tears. My stomach is in a knot. Uh, Let's go Bible. Raise your hand. Okay, answer. Lamentations. Okay. Oh, we're down to three. All right. Here we go. (laughs) Next one. You're like a lion ready to pounce. All right, let's go Lamentations. Raise your hand. Oh, this is, okay, here we go. Answer. Lamentations. Okay. All right. I love the stare down. That's fantastic. (laughs) You will not out Taylor Swift me, pal. All right. Here we go. Next one. Uh, This yearning in the deep part of my heart for you. Let's go Lamentations. Raise your hand. Oh, this is it, right? Oh, they both are. Okay, let's go. Taylor Swift. They're they're both in. They're both in because they both lost. Okay, so they're both in. (laughs) All right. Next one. I'll never forget the trouble, the poison I've swallowed. Let's go Taylor Swift. Oh, they're, they're playing the game now. Okay. And the answer? Lamentations. All right, we'll go, we'll go one more. I think there's one more. Next one. Oh, there's two more. Okay. There's one thing I remember so I can keep a grip on hope. All right, you got to tell me your answer right now. Think of your answer. Oh, yeah, of course. Next time, you guys say it at the same time. <laughs> All right, here we go. Next one. I'm aching, no past, nowhere to hide. All right, ta- All right I'm going to count to three. You've got to raise your hand or not, okay? This is Bible. If you think it's from the Bible, raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Okay, this is it. This is the final one. Okay, answer. <laughs> Taylor Swift. All right. And he knew that. <laughs> Good job, Jeremiah. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Guys, you, you know, you, maybe you've received a tie at some point in your life for... Oh, wait, we have one more just to see it for fun. Should we put the last one just so that it, it doesn't mess up with our slideshow? If we have it, if we don't. All we are is skin and bones, and the answer to that one is... <laughs> okay, and it's also... All we are is skin and bones is also lamentation, so... It's from 317 or something like that. So they're both in there. Okay, so guys, uh, maybe you've received a tie at some point for Father's Day. Today we have a tie for all of you who participated. A little M&M bow tie. So pass these baskets down the aisles. 
And if you participated in the game, you get a bow tie today. <laughs> don't act like you don't know this song. <laughs> okay. And, and feel free, men, to eat those during the sermon. This is Father's, Father's Day. This is your day. You go ahead and eat those while I preach. <laughs> um, how do you transition to a sermon? Uh, <laughs> join me as we pray. <laughs> God, we thank you for today. We thank you that we can have fun uh, together as a family. We thank you that you've created us in your image as creative beings and the ability to laugh and have fun together. And so... Uh, we, we appreciate this morning. We also appreciate your word as we look at it now. We ask that you would challenge us, that you would transform us, you would renovate our hearts, God, and let this be about you. We thank you for this time. In your name, amen. All right. Well, open your Bibles. I invite you to open them up to the book of Matthew chapter 26. If you are visiting here from another church, welcome. <laughs> this is not usual. Um, Maybe it should be, though. You guys are all lively. I love that. <laughs> so we're in the book of Matthew, chapter 26. We're in the middle of a series called Renovation. And these are stories out of the Gospels about how the grace of Jesus interacted with the people around him and renovated their lives and really transformed them through his gracious interactions. And today we're going to look at an event in the life of a guy named Peter. And we've looked at Peter's life quite a few times here. And Peter... He's kind of one of our favorites because he's had so many great moments and so low moments and, and moments, bonehead moments, all the things that most of us as followers of Jesus have in our lives. And today we're going to look at a life of an event in Peter's life that is probably the low point in his life. But it's also probably the biggest moment or the most effective event in his entire life perhaps except for seeing Jesus raised from the dead, but one of the most effective events in the process of renovating and changing who he is. This event, this story today, is one that I think had greater impact on who Peter was and his understanding of God and his commitment to his calling than anything else that happened. Yet it was probably also his worst moment. See, the story today is at, at the very heart of the story is the good news about our God. And so that's what we're going to study. So I invite you to look, look in the book of Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to start at verse 31 and we're going to skip some verses in between here. Um, and just for reference, this story also has a parallel passage in Luke chapter 22 and it's how Luke records it, but they're almost identical. So we're looking at the Matthew version today. In verse 31, the disciples and Jesus just finished celebrating Passover together. And they were just, uh, they had their finished their Passover meal and they're leaving the house. And that's the context here on the night that Jesus will be betrayed and uh, the day before he's crucified is what's happening. So after singing a, singing a hymn, they went out to Mount of Olives. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, Jesus said to his disciples, You will all fall away because of me tonight, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. 
And Jesus said, Truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Notice here that Peter is not so surprised that the others may fall away. Do you notice that? Jesus says, tonight all of you will fall away and be scattered because of me. And Peter says, hey, even if everyone else does, in other words, like, Jesus, I get it. The other guys, probably those 11, wait, 10, I don't know the other guys, um, if they will all betray you tonight, I get that. But I'm not going to. I won't. So I got your back. Don't worry. And this isn't the first time Peter said something like this. Last time he said something like this, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. So let's see what comes this time. And he says, no, Peter, tonight, before the rooster crows, in other words, before the night's over, before morning, the earliest part of morning begins, you will have denied me three times. Now, according to Scripture, anytime you see something repeated three times, three is the most, the most amount of times you need to repeat something for it to be sure. You don't have to say four times. That's why you hear in Scripture, it says like, holy, holy, holy. It, you don't add, have to add another holy because the most holy you can get is three holies. The most denials you can get are three. That means it's totally complete. So he says, by the end of the night, you'll have three times you will have denied me. In other words, your denial will be complete complete denial of who I am. To which Peter's probably thinking, are you kidding me? No, I will die for you. Let's skip down a few verses. So what happens there, then Jesus spends some time praying, the disciples spend some time sleeping, and then this crowd comes out in verse 51 to betray Jesus. Judas is there, he's betrayed with a kiss. And we're going to actually skip for the sake of time even beyond that. Jesus is now arrested, and we're going to go all the way down to verse 69. So Jesus gets arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's taken to the high priest's house in the middle of the night, which that in itself was very rare. That wouldn't happen, but um, very rare occasions. There's something interesting happening this night. But it says, all the disciples leave, but Peter followed at a distance to watch what's happening. Now, In verse 69, Jesus is inside the house and he's being questioned by the religious teachers. He's being beaten. He's being accused of blasphemy. And and they're kind of getting, you know, it's the beginning of the night that's going to eventually lead, excuse me, to his crucifixion. Peter is outside. He's not in the house. There's probably a crowd gathered. There's probably some Roman soldiers, maybe some servants. There's some people seeing what's going on. They heard the commotion. And Peter's outside the house in the courtyard in verse 69. And a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus, the Galilean. And Peter denied it before all of them, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Now, this, even this phrase, I don't know what you're talking about, in the Greek is a way that you begin your defense if you're on trial for something. So Peter already is beginning his defense, saying, No, 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 I'm going to prove my innocence. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm innocent of what you're accusing me of. And when they gone out to the gateway, another servant saw them and said to him and to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. In 72, again, Peter denied it with an oath, saying, I don't know a man. He made an oath, which Jesus taught them earlier. Say, let your yes be yes and your no's be no. Don't, don't swear an oath. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. So he came from the region of Galilee, and the Galileans were known to have a dialect that was very identifiable. So they could tell that he's probably from that region just like Jesus. 
And so in this, they say, the way you talk gives you away. And he began to curse and swear. And this probably isn't what you would think, like curse and swear. Although that doesn't mean he never does it. He was a fisherman. But in this case, the cursing and swearing is probably saying, he's making an oath and bringing a curse on his head. In other words, saying, may it be done to me. May I die if I'm lying to you tonight. It's kind of, you know, when you're growing up and playing on the playground, you say, do you swear? Oh, I swear on, you know, whatever, on my mother, right? It's always on your mother. Uh, (laughs) Or you swear on something. And so this is the same kind of thing. Probably swore by the temple. I swear by the temple that I do not know this man. I'm not lying to you. And by making that swear and calling down a curse, he's saying, if I'm lying, I'll be cursed by God. (laughs) And immediately a rooster crowed. How do you think that sounded <laughs> at that moment? In verse 75, Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, before a rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. You see, in this story, as I said at the beginning, I believe that this is one of the most impactful nights of Peter's life. And at this story, we have the very heart of the good news. In other words, it's a message about who God is in this story. You see, we see the life of Jesus in this story, and we see how God's, what God's heart is for people as how he responds. So the, the good news includes the life of Jesus, teaching us how to live like him. So we see an example of how to respond, not in Peter, but in Jesus in this story. We learn about the death of Jesus that will soon come that can cover even this sin, which is part of the good news that all sins can be covered by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And then we will see that this person, Peter, is later empowered by the Spirit of God to lead his church. It's all kind of all of those are elements of the good news that we're not left alone, but we're filled. So this story now, I want to break it down a little bit more and find the lessons that we can learn here. So we can be like Peter and learn from this moment To see what is God trying to teach us about himself? What is he teaching us about the good news in these pages? The first thing I see here is that we learn that God's work and his work that's going to be done on the cross soon after this, that his work is sufficient. Now what do I mean by that? What I mean is this, is that God's work on the cross is enough to cover all the sins of past, present, and future. All the failures of past, present, and future. Many of you, if you've been around church for any bit of time, or maybe you're familiar with scripture, you're probably pretty well convinced to say, yeah, I believe God forgives my sins. And you think, yeah, I, can, I know I can come to, to Jesus and have my sins forgiven of the past. But do you see what's happening in this event? See, Jesus already knew that Peter was going to deny him in a future failure. And the work of Jesus on the cross was enough to cover the mistake that he hasn't even made yet. The work of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover all of your life. The failure that lies ahead down the road of your life that's still there, that we pray doesn't come, but that is maybe looming, that failure is already taken care of by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His work is sufficient. It will cover even that failure that is to come. When I think of this story, I think of what was that look like? In Luke chapter 22, the parallel passage, it actually says that when the rooster crowed that Peter and Jesus, their eyes met sometime around then. 
Now, what would that be like, that look, that night? <laughs> if you're a parent, or if you've ever been a kid, um, okay, um, so if you either, maybe you have given a look to one of your kids, or if you've ever had a parent give you a look, maybe you understand what that look might be like. What would it have been like when Jesus says, you're going to deny me. I know you're going to deny me. This is what's going to happen. And Peter says, no, I swear, there's no way, Jesus, I'm not going to do it. And then he does it. What is the look that you give him after that? I think of on it like a really small scale. Like, you, you know, with our kids, we'll say, hey, it's going to be cold tonight. Why don't you bring a, you know, bring a coat? We're going to be outside. It's going to get cold. I say, I'm not cold. I'm not going to get cold. And I know we live in San Diego. What I mean is it's going to get down to 70. Bring a sweatshirt. Yeah, okay. So it's going to get down to 70 tonight. Bring a sweatshirt. And our kids say, no, I don't need it. I'll be fine. And then later that night when they're shivering, what look do you give them? Do you give them the look that says, I told you so. I told you you were going to be cold. Now, some of you would give them your sweatshirt, but you're not me. I won't. So it's a, it's a teaching moment. Um, <laughs> I don't want to be cold. 70's freezing. So anyway, so yeah, you give them the look like, I told you, I told you you should have done this and you didn't do it. Was that the look that Jesus gave that night? I, I told you, Peter, and here you go. Was that the look? Or was it this look, the look of disappointment or anger? I can't believe you did that. Was that the look? I can't believe you did that, Peter. I told you you were going to do it. I told you to be where you said you wouldn't. You should have at least been expecting like, okay, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. How could you have done this? Did you give him that look like, seriously? I think he gave him a different look. The look I think he gave him communicates this idea of that his work is sufficient. I think the look that Jesus gave him was a look that said, okay, you know what? You just messed up. I'll take care of it this time. I got it. See, because when Peter looked at him, he's thinking, what is he going to do? And Jesus looks at him and says, I got it. I got you. What's about to happen here, Peter? This is covered. It's taken care of. We'll make this right. I'll make this right. It's okay. That is so crazy. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. And it's such a great illustration of who God is. Because he hadn't even paid the price yet. But here when he looks at Peter, he looks at him and says, okay, this is why I'm about to do what I'm about to do. To cover what just happened. I got this covered. I'll take care of you, Peter. Later we see Peter writes in this book called First uh, Peter. It's a letter that he wrote. He didn't name it First Peter. We did, just by the way. So he writes this letter in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 18. Peter writes this, Christ died for the sins once and for all. In other words, the death of Jesus was enough once and for all. For all my past, present, and future sins, it doesn't have to be done again. Peter writes this after the resurrection, after he's been leading the church. Who would know this better than Peter? To say, he dies for sins once and for all. It's covered. The just for the unjust Can you imagine that night feeling like, no, 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 Jesus, I'm the one who just, I deserve this. I am the guilty one, not you. But he, so then later Peter writes, the just, the innocent one dies for the guilty ones. 
so that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So Peter writes this years later after he's learned from it. He learned that the work of Jesus is sufficient to cover the past, present, and future. It's done once and for all. Don't miss it. Don't miss it in this story. Some of us continually fight to try to make up for the failures and the sins in our lives. We continue to try to work to make things right. When Jesus is saying, no, I've already done the work, you go like, yeah, yeah, I know, but let me also do this. And he says, no, no, I actually, no I've done it. You go, no, no, I know, but no, once and for all, his work is sufficient for us. He learned that that night. I think of one of the best illustrations that we can ever see of this is in the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which uh, I didn't read growing up, um, and I didn't read it until I was in seminary, and I had no idea what it was about. So I wasn't sheltered. I just never read the book, okay? Um, and, and so I read it in seminary, and when I got to this part, I don't want to spoil it for anyone with me. I never read it. Okay, so uh, I got to this part when Edmund, who is just, you know, how do you describe him? You just, he's so unlikable. Um, I think the British term is he was just a git. Um, and so, and, and I hope that's not really bad to say out loud. So he, he's just so unlikable. And there's a scene where Aslan, who is the Christ figure, when you find out that he went to exchange and pay for Edmund being just this jerk, pay, give his life for him. I got to that part and I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? I got so angry because I didn't know it was about Jesus. I had no idea what the story was about. And I was mad at this lion who's going to give his life for this stupid little kid. And it hit me. Oh, <laughs> I've read this before. What was that like? See, the work of Christ on the cross is enough to cover even the worst. And Edmund didn't have to make up for it. It was done. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 3 through 6, he says, This is good and acceptable in sight of our Savior, who, our God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. The testimony given at the proper time. In other words, Paul's understanding of this, you have to know the work of Jesus on the cross was enough. There's one God and one mediator. There doesn't need to be more. The one mediator is one who stands between, is the Greek word here, who stands in between you and a holy father. It's Jesus, the Son of God. And that is enough to bring you into the God's presence. He'll take it for you. And because of this, now we are set free. Another verse I don't have for you is in Romans 8.1. It says, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. In other words, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, you don't stand condemned before God anymore. In Romans chapter 8, it tells us nothing will separate us from the love of God. This is the most, it's not like a tender, weak love. This is a fierce, manly love that says nothing will separate you or me from my kids. That's what our God the Father says. His work is sufficient. The other thing I see in this story is that God's plans are good. Let me explain what I mean because that sounds pretty simple. God's plans are good. Going back to this story, I want you to look uh, actually, in Luke chapter 22, I'll read it to you. But you can turn there if you want. In the parallel version of the same story, there's one more detail that Luke includes. When Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says this in chapter 22, verse 31 of Luke. Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, Simon, Peter, behold, 
Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Now, I, I don't know really what that means, but I hope Satan's never demanded permission to sift me like wheat. <laughs> so Jesus looks at Peter and says, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat. Oh, thanks for the encouragement. And then he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and you, when once you have turned again, will strengthen your brothers. That's interesting prayer of Jesus. He says, hey, Satan wants to destroy you. I've prayed that your faith will be strengthened and once you've turned again, once you've come back, I pray that you will be strengthened so you can strengthen your brothers and sisters. You're going to lead the church. And then look at the next verses. But he said to him, Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And this is where Jesus says, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you've denied me three times. See, the fuller detail of this whole story is Jesus knows he's going to fail. He's already prayed for him and said, though you're going to fail, I pray that this event in your life will strengthen you so you can use it to encourage others and to lead your church. See, God had a plan for Peter and his life. And God's plan was good. Do you think that was a, a fun event? <laughs> it wasn't. The low point in Peter's life, Jesus knew was coming. He already prayed for him. He already said it's coming, but I pray through this that you will be strengthened. What's about to come, that your faith will not fail. See, God had a plan for Peter, and it even knew that Peter was going to deny him. Say, I swear, kill me if I'm lying. I don't know that person. I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem like the type of person I'm going to build my global mission of leading others to Christ. And I don't know if that's the person I'm using. And you've got to think that people were in Jesus' ear telling him like, hey, really, Peter? You're going to use Peter? I mean, Peter's the one who you know, stood, he has these great moments in the boat the one time where he said, Jesus, get away from me. You're the son of God. I'm not worthy. Peter had the great moment of, of saying, Jesus, if that's you out there on the water, let me walk on the water. He had the great moment of confessing him and saying, you are the son of God. The one through all the world will turn, to whom all the world will turn. See, Peter had these great moments, but then he had these moments where Jesus is looking at him like, oh my gosh. He called him Satan. He said, get behind me, Satan. You would think that after that, the other disciples thought, okay, I think he's out. <laughs> Because soon after, we see that they're arguing about who gets to be greatest in the kingdom. And my guess is, they're like, okay, since Peter just got called Satan, I think that opens up number one. Um, so they go in and ask, hey, Jesus, can I be number one? And when Jesus says, no, no, Peter's my guy, do you think they said, have you seen Peter the last three years? I don't know if you can trust him. But see, God's plans are good and they're secure. When God calls you to participate in his kingdom and he's calling you, he's calling you to follow him and to make him Lord of your life. Once we acknowledge him as Lord of our lives, we're called to represent his kingdom name, to participate in demonstrating the kingdom of God, the way we live. You are invited into this process. Did you know that? And you know what? He didn't make a mistake when he asked you. Even though he knows your past, your present, and your future failings. His plan is good because he wants you to be a part of it. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Again, this is after all of this. 
He says, prepare your minds for action. We have this on the screen for you. Be sober in spirit. Look at this. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, Peter has learned that the one thing that we can do is you're going to have ups and downs, but fix your hope on the grace that's brought to you in the revel- at the time of revelation of Jesus Christ. The one thing that Peter learned through this is God had a plan for him. He's going to have ups and downs, but fix his hope on the grace that will be poured out in those times of failure. He still wants to use Peter and work through him. He's still calling you into his process. And as we go through life, may we see God in new ways and bigger ways. Also from the the Chronicles of Narnia, I I kept reading them, by the way. I thought they were pretty good. Is Aslan, who it turns out is Jesus. Um, we see him later in stories when this character Lucy comes back and meets Aslan. And she says, Aslan, you've grown bigger. To which he responds, that's because you are older, little one. She said, not because you are? He says, no, I'm not bigger. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. You see, this is a perfect picture of how God is. As we journey and fix our hope on the grace, when we believe that his plans are good and he's going to use us, as we grow older, the longer we're in the journey, the bigger we can see God. Peter learned that through this. Do you think God looked any bigger than after this moment to Peter? (laughs) See, when Peter left this story, I think he went out in the field and just thought, any moment now lightning is going to strike. (laughs) I guarantee you he was waiting to die. And it didn't come. God grew bigger in his life. He learned that God's plan, he didn't make a mistake when he called him. When I first started in ministry, I was uh, started as a youth pastor. I was in high, or college and uh, working with junior hires. And we had a really fun ministry. I went from there. I moved to Southern California and got a job at a large church. Uh, working in the youth ministry there. From there, I went on to another church where we had you know, a couple hundred students and a bunch of staff and, and volunteers, and we had a really fun time. It was a great season of ministry. Um, from there, we took a little time off to do some more studying and came back to the area to uh, work on a church plant. And this church plant, we said, we're going to do things a little differently, and we did. Um, but we really enjoyed it. We, uh, it was, our idea was to be part of, really involved in the community. We called it a missional church. And uh, we had this young married couple who just got married, and they were in charge of this food box ministry where uh, they once a month distributed food in the park near our, where we met as a church. And we fed like 100 families a month, which was way larger than our entire church. You know, we had like 50 people if you counted everybody. And, and so I loved that part of the church. And, and, and during that time as well, as I had to take a job at a local coffee shop to get benefits to support the church. And so I worked there, and, and I actually ended up really enjoying that. Every day I put on what I called my clerical robe. It was green, and, and I made lattes for people. And, and as people came through the line, and the same people came every day of the week, pretty much, so you get to know them, you know who you are. And so they would go through every day, and it was such a great opportunity because I got to know all these people who lived right by my house who I never met for all these years until I started working here. And I was able to, you know, hear how their days were going or things, oh, I'm going through, you know, I'm struggling, I just got diagnosed with cancer. We had things like that. And so, you know what, I'll pray for you today. And you'd have people like crying in line. And I thought like, that's awesome. And, and like, God's using this. This is so cool. So I would try to, you know, see how many people I can make cry in one day and all this. And be like, 
It's making such great sermon stories and, and all these things and seeing how God was kind of using this time. Um, I remember this one lady who, who came and she uh, was there every morning right at 5 a.m. And her last day she said, I'm moving up to Northern California. And I said, you know what, the drink's on us today and, and um, you know, good luck with your journey and this. And she just starts crying right there. Like, I'm going to miss you guys so much. And I'm like, oh man, this is ministry, you know. And, and thinking... We are doing this right. This church is so good. Like, this is, people are involved in the community. I'm, they're going to need me to write books about how to do it. And this is awesome. <laughs> and then after a couple of years, you know, the church, um, it was still a fun church. I loved the church the entire time, but it became clear that it was just too much on the family to do both. And so we closed the doors of the church and folded into another church. And then for a while, for about nine months, we just attended one. And it's, gr- it's so great just attending church, isn't it? Don't you love that? Father's Day, you sleep in. So like, I don't know if I'm going. Um, it's, I'm kidding. Oh, man. <laughs> you guys are all here. You get credit. It's good. But we took the, the nine months to just say, God, what do you really want? Because in a lot of areas, I could say that that church plant failed. didn't work. So God, is that, did you make a mistake? Is this, did we do all this training, all this work? to serve coffee to the masses. And I don't know. But then doors opened up and, and we ended up getting a call to a, a church down in Encinitas. And, uh, <laughs> and we ended up coming here from there. But really, during that time, it's God, it's, what do you really want? I feel like maybe, and, and it wasn't a major sin issue, it was just, hey, we messed this up. The church didn't go the way I thought you wanted it to go. But God said, no, I don't make a mistake with my plans. You needed those years to be who you are. You needed that time in between to be who you are. My plans are good. So wherever God's taking you on your journey, know that his work, is, it's already done. It's sufficient. And his call on your life is good. There's hope. Fix your hope on the grace of Jesus. We're going to transition to a time of, of worship and communion. And as we transition to this time of communion, I think what better day to do it than a story that happened right before Jesus died on the cross? What better time to reflect on the work that Jesus did than after reading about his right-hand man denying him and saying, may I die if I'm lying about the fact that I don't know this person, this God, this Messiah, this teacher. But Jesus died to cover that sin that was about to happen. And all of them in the past and all of them in the future. And he did it for you and for me as well. And his work is enough for you and for me today. And his plans are good for us today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take some time. We're going to pass out the communion today to, to you in your seats. And uh, during this song, just grab the, the cracker and the cup and hang on to those. Um, during this first song, take some, um, some time to reflect. And then I'll come back and we'll lead you through the elements here today. So.